welcome to another edition of The Raven Narratives. I'm Sarah Severson. And I'm Tom Yoder. We're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. And today we're standing next to the beautiful and mighty Mancus River on a sunny Saturday morning. Bluebird Day, the mighty Mancus River. I love it because it takes about four steps to get across it. But it is <laughs> mighty in its own way, right? We're all mighty in our own ways. That's right. <laughs> the story you're about to hear was told by my co-producer, Tom Yoder, at our live storytelling event where the theme was baggage. Tom worked as an archaeologist in the Southwest for 16 years before he began his career in media and produced a podcast as a personal project for four years during that time. He brings a deep passion for connecting people and community through storytelling. Tom self-describes as a recovering archaeologist with a passion for soundscapes. Here's Tom's story. My story takes place 40 years ago, in 1976. I was five years old. And I was a pretty normal five-year-old, uh, pretty rambunctious, uh, lively kid. And you might be surprised to learn that I actually had a full head of blonde hair back in those days. <laughs> I didn't like to wear clothes very much. I went around shirtless and with no shoes as much as I could, as much as the weather would allow me to do that. And so my parents bought me this doll that I was really fond of. His name was Dapper Dan. Some of you may remember Dapper Dan from your own childhoods. Dapper Dan had these different fasteners on him. He had a shoelace that he could learn to tie shoes, a zipper, a buckle, a button, and a snap. It was my favorite doll. I'm not sure if it did much good keeping me dressed and keeping my clothes on. My best friend was my sister, Judy. Judy's two years older than me, and we would spend a lot of time together. She would be reading me books that she was just learning to read at that time. And uh, we would take baths together, as a lot of times little kids do. And she would do my hair in the latest styles. She'd do some funky 70s comb over, or maybe a punk rock mohawk kind of thing. My mom was a registered nurse, and she worked at a local doctor's office. And for those of you who may, can relate, having a mom as a nurse or nurse as a mom is a really wonderful thing, especially when you're five years old and you're running around getting sunburned because you're not wearing a shirt, or in my case, running through the cactus that's in your front yard landscaping, and your mom can pull all those spines out of the bottom of your feet while you lay there and whimper. It's good to have a nurse as a mom. But the center of my world when I was five was my father. My father's name was Harlan Yoder, and he was a pilot. He wore aviator glasses before it was cool to wear aviator glasses. He wore them because he was an aviator. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's pretty amazing that he became a pilot at all because his parents, my grandparents, grew up on a traditional Amish farm in southeast Iowa. And they actually ran off together to start their own family and became sort of black sheep in their own family. So one generation removed, there's my father, totally into technology and airplanes and radios and all kinds of electronics. And so it was pretty amazing that he was a pilot at all. My dad and I would spend time together in the evenings sitting on the couch. I'd sit on his lap and we would share a carton of ice cream together passing the spoon of vanilla ice cream back and forth. And it really wasn't unusual for us to polish off a carton, after which I would usually pass out, and he would take me and put me into bed and, and tuck me in. But my favorite thing to do with my dad was to play with his scale model train set. He had this amazing HO scale model train. And in one of the spare bedrooms of our house, he had this big piece of plywood set up. He had a 
this green piece of paper and little pieces of green colored sawdust glued to it. So it looked like this grassy plain. And we would set up all kinds of different tracks, figure eights and loop-de-loops. It even had a, a little station that was uh, next to the train track. And when the train would go by, it would light up and little people inside the train station. It's pretty cool. There were little risers that you could set up underneath the train and make little bridges. They were, the train could go up and down. Endless entertainment. My favorite thing to do with the train, of course, was to make it go way too fast around the corner, derailing all the cars, and it was just a delight for my five-year-old self, that <laughs> catastrophe that I could create. In 1976, my dad flew for a private charter flight company out of Denver. Back then, it was Stapleton International Airport. This was long before DIA uh, existed. And he would fly people like bankers and lawyers and doctors, important people around to different kinds of meetings and um, appointments that they had in towns like Aspen or Vail or Glenwood Springs all over Colorado and the Intermountain West. And in September of 1976, he was flying a group of people from a private law firm out of Denver to a company retreat and a party that they were having in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And the plan was for them to fly up on Saturday and uh, the retreat and the party was that Saturday night. So they flew up out of Denver. Must have been a beautiful flight if you can imagine in September, all the colors must have been changing on the Aspen as they were flying over as maybe some of you have seen flying around Colorado at that time of year. They landed in Steamboat. They all went their separate ways. The folks from the law firm went off to um, the party that they were having. His passengers included one of the law partners and his wife, they were both in their 50s and three young legal aides that worked at the law firm with them. And so they went off and had a good time. My dad probably went off and had a pretty good time. He was known to go out and party a little bit. This being 1976, you can imagine they probably went out and had a pretty good time that night. The next day, they were scheduled on Sunday to fly out at one o'clock in the afternoon. And my dad would have gotten to the airport probably a couple hours early to go and do safety checks and do everything he needed to do, the pre-flight routine for, for his airplane. He was flying a Piper Aztec airplane, which is a pretty nice plane for those days. It had um, a dual prop plane. It had a, a propeller and an engine on each wing of the plane, which left the nose cone open for a baggage compartment. And then there was a second baggage compartment on the plane that was located just behind the passenger cabin. So you could just throw your luggage in there and shut the door and jump into the cabin and off you went. They all arrived for the flight that day, except for one of the young legal aides who was late. So they were sitting on the tarmac waiting to take off, all but this one guy who was a little bit late. Finally, he showed up, ran over to the plane, opened that baggage compartment and threw the luggage in there, shut the door, jumped in the cabin, taxied out to the runway, and then took off. Shortly after the takeoff, just as they were airborne, that baggage compartment came open, the one behind the, the passenger cabin, and some things started falling out. My dad radioed and said, hey, I'm gonna turn around, I'm coming back to the airport to land, I need to take care of this luggage compartment, this baggage compartment that things are falling out of. And that's what he did. He started banking the plane, coming around to go back to the Steamboat Springs Airport. But he turned too steeply, and, any pilot will tell you that when you turn a plane and you start to get those wings more and more vertical, what happens is you lose loft and the plane goes down. And that's exactly what happened. The plane crashed that day. 
and killed everybody on board. They actually crashed into a field of stored propane tanks that was somehow inextricably located near the end of the runway in the Steamboat Springs Airport. Nobody survived. They were all killed pretty much instantly. Meanwhile, back in Aurora, the suburb of Denver where we were living at the time, I was across the street at a friend's house, and I will never forget the look on his mom's face when she came to the door of the bedroom and said that I needed to go home right away. And even as a five-year-old, when you see that look on someone's face, you know that something is terribly, terribly wrong. So I went home, I walked across the street, and went into my house, and the first thing I remember seeing were two men standing there in suits, looking very somber, and didn't make any eye contact with me at all. The next thing I saw were my mom and my sister sitting on the couch, weeping and holding each other. And that's when I ran over and found out that my father was gone. I've carried the baggage of that day my whole life. And it's been really heavy at times. The loss and the pain has been baggage that I just wanted to put down. I just wanted to get rid of it so many times, but you can't. You can't put that kind of baggage down. All of us carry baggage of some kind, some heavier than others, different sizes of baggage. And what I've learned in the last few years is that sometimes it's important for us to look inside that baggage and see what's in there. And what I've learned is that the baggage of my father's death and carrying that my whole life has made me the person who I am. And there's gifts there. There's gifts of perspective, perspective on life and death, impermanence, loss, and deep gratitude. Gratitude for my family and my friends and the moments that we can spend together because I know deep in my heart that it can be gone just like that. So I tell you this story tonight because I want to encourage all of you to carry your baggage. Be strong. Have the courage to carry that baggage. And don't forget to look inside when you're ready. Look inside and see maybe, just maybe, there's gifts inside of your baggage too. Thank you. Tom for telling that story. Oh, well, thanks for letting me tell it. If you want to hear a little bit more, you can stay tuned for the end of the podcast where we have some outtakes for you. To hear more stories like this one, subscribe to the Raven Narratives podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, where you can also leave comments and share the stories with your friends. If you want to pitch your own story for a future Raven Narratives live storytelling event, go to ravennarratives.org and fill out the form on the contact page. You can also see a photo gallery of our storytellers and find out what the themes will be at upcoming events. The Raven Narratives is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. Find out more at ksjd.org. Special thanks goes to our sound engineering wizard, Mike McAllister, for his technical expertise in recording and mixing the Raven Narratives stories told at the Sunflower Theater. Support for the Raven Narratives comes from Red Scarf Shots Photography Studio in Durango, Colorado. Find out more at redscarfshots.com. Now for an outtake. <laughs> I think some of the things that'll help people connect are the details. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're wearing terry cloth clothing, if you love, yeah. like that <laughs> kind of. Terry cloth. <laughs> like 1970s. Terry cloth clothing. <laughs> it's the 70s. Didn't everybody wear terry cloth pants? <laughs> <laughs> what up?